It's Tuesday, November 3rd, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga from Cleveland.com, and I'm flying solo this week with uh, Hoinsey on vacation, so we will uh, fill in with some guests. Uh, today, we've got a pretty good one. Anthony Castrovitz from MLB.com, a contributor to MLB Network, and Anthony's going to talk to us about the uh, BBWAA awards. The finalists were announced in four uh, award categories for the American and National League last night. Uh, the Indians among some of those finalists, obviously Shane Bieber with the season that he had uh, as a starting pitcher is the top contender for the American League Cy Young Award. Uh, he faces Hinjin Ryu and Kenta Maeda, but really that's a race for second place as far as a lot of voters are concerned. The, the question there is, will he be the first unanimous Cy Young winner since uh, Clayton Kershaw in 2014, uh, the last time an American League pitcher was a unanimous Cy Young uh, winner? That was Justin Verlander in 2011. So uh, we'll, we'll talk to Anthony about whether Shane Bieber deserved MVP uh, voting as well. The uh, Indians have a candidate there in Jose Ramirez who, who caught fire at the end of the season, uh, really came on strong offensively, uh, led all of baseball in uh, wins above replacement, uh, calculated at 3.4 wins above replacement uh, by both fan graphs and baseball reference. Uh, Jose Ramirez, just a fine, outstanding season. He faces Jose Abreu and DJ LeMayhew uh, for the top award, the MVP award, formerly known as, uh, with uh, formerly bearing the name of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, but baseball writers uh, electing uh, last month to remove Landis's name from the award. It will go nameless this year, and uh, at a later date, uh, Baseball Writers Association of America will decide whether or not to add a, a name. Possibly Frank Robinson was uh, one of the rumors, uh, Robinson having won the award in both the American and, and National League, a uh, fitting candidate to have his name put on the MVP award. But uh, before that, we'll see if Jose Ramirez can get his name put on the award uh, for his efforts in 2020. Uh, so let's, uh, let's jump to it now and, and talk to Anthony Kastervins. Uh Anthony, of course, the, the author of A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics, uh, available on Amazon now, uh, a, a book that uh, really sort of uh, seeks to explain some of these new age sabermetric uh, uh, figures and stats and, and why they... Uh, are effective, especially in this uh, shortened 60-game season, at uh, showing you know which players uh, have the most value and uh, deserve these awards. Uh, Anthony, a good guy to talk to about uh, the candidates for these awards here. So we'll we'll jump to him and uh, be back again uh, after that on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We bring in a fellow BBWAA voter and a noted Bruce Springsteen aficionado, Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. Do they, do they call you guys bossophiles or would it be more current to say something like spring stands or something, you know, what's your, uh, I've seen, I've seen spring nuts, uh, been used. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think we're just employees cause he's the boss. So we're employees. There you go. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the big news from, from last night, the BBWAA finalists were announced in, uh, several categories, uh, Indians players, uh, Shane Bieber, Jose Ramirez, uh, announced as finalists. Uh, we'll get into the MVP discussion in a second, uh, but first, were you surprised to see uh, Injun Ryu among the Cy Young finalists over Garrett Cole? Was that something that uh, you know you were expecting to see? 
Um, not terribly surprised. I mean, Cole, Cole had a strong year on measure, but sometimes uh, when you have a slower start like he had, that kind of sticks in voters' minds. So I, it didn't, that didn't strike me as too, um, you know, shocking. It was always, but I mean, and we all, as we know here in Cleveland, we know it well. It was Shane Bieber and then the field, you know, so I don't get too hung up in, in who's three and who's four. I guess we'll see Cole, what I would, I would imagine would be four in that particular voting, unless it, there's some reliever that, uh, you know, Liam Hendricks had a, a really strong year, but um, I mean, yeah, I, I think Cole just didn't make a great first impression, early impression, and that kind of stuck with him. All right. Uh, I just figured maybe because of, you know, New York bias or, or whatever that might have might have had something to do with it. Well, yeah, it, and people, people say that a lot, but then people have to remember, you know, it's, it's each award is uh, in a particular market, you know, a couple voters per award. So it all kind of comes out in the wash, you know, it kind of evens out across markets. Uh, is, is there any legitimate reason a voter would have for not giving Bieber his first place vote, uh, making him unanimous first time since Kershaw in 2014? <laughs> if there's an argument against him, I, I would love to hear it. I mean, this guy was was truly unbelievable. And yeah, you, you take everything in context of it, of it being a shortened season. And um, I, I guess you could say his, his September wasn't as strong as his July and August, but it was still pretty darn strong. And uh, what he did from a strikeout, perspective regardless of it being a shortened season you know the the number of batters he struck out um 122 <laughs> batters in a shortened season is pretty unbelievable so I know we're in a high strikeout era as well but th this is a guy who was never really viewed as as that type of pitcher when he was first coming up and to his credit he's made himself into that he, he learned to put batters away and took it to another level this year right it was that that sort of that that feeling of evolution to just over the last uh, you know two seasons plus with with yeah. him uh, growing more comfortable and, and finding out, discovering himself who he who he is as a pitcher. Uh, I, I saw. Is there a is there a Bieber stat that that ever jumped out at you this season? I saw one where he had he had gotten like uh, 146 swing and misses on pitches uh, out of the below the strike zone. Some something crazy that uh, you know within this age of Statcast that we 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 live in now, where you can you know find this minutia that's that, that's just mind blowing and and just like you said, he, he he wasn't a strikeout pitcher at the start of his career, but but now you know to to total up those numbers and and it, that we can sort of tabulate now with with Statcast, it, it yeah. leads to some really crazy stats. It does, and, and again, the high strikeout era we're in, you're going to have this, but it does strike. I mean, fourteen point two strikeouts per nine, that used to be unheard of even for relievers, you know, coming in in short stints and just airing it out, and now we got starters doing that which is absolutely nuts. It's kind of state of the game kind of thing. It's also state of Shane Bieber, but um, I always like ERA plus for, for pitchers just kind of show where they're at relative to the league average and takes the ballparks in the league into context. And 100 yeah. is league average. Shane Bieber was 281. So 281 is ridiculous. 281 is pretty good when 100 is average. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Anthony Castorvance, our our friend here. Uh, the author of the book, A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics, Why War, Whip, Woba, and Other Advanced Sabermetrics Are Essential to Understanding Modern Baseball. So uh, a stat like that, ERA+, plus, that's, that's what you're talking about here in, in this book, uh, and just sort of reinforcing why Shane Bieber had the kind of season and is getting the kind of accolades that he's getting right now. Yeah, that's what the book builds towards, is, is getting folks to understand the importance of league context and, you know, Obviously, this was a 60-game season, so it's kind of a season, an era all its own, um, depending on what happens in 2021. But 
Um, you know, if you go back in, in more recent years, full years, I mean, 30 home runs doesn't mean what it once did, right? Because right. home runs are flying out of the ballpark. Uh, 200 strikeouts doesn't even mean what it once did. So it's, it's really important to judge guys based on their peers, the context of the times they are living in and pitching in and hitting in. And that's what those uh, advanced metrics do. So the book doesn't get into analytics like, why did Kevin Cash take out Blake Snell uh, <laughs> third time through the order? It's not about strategy. It's just about how we as fans can properly evaluate things in a better way than, than the stats we grew up with, you know, batting average and RBIs and the like. Uh, available on Amazon.com. Good Christmas gift. Uh, just throwing that out there for you guys. Uh, moving on to the, some of the other awards uh, before we get to the MVP, I want to mention uh, James Karinchak, uh, Indians rookie, and uh, Milwaukee rookie uh, Devin Williams. They both struck out 53 batters in 27 innings. Yet Williams was one of the uh, National League Rookie of the Year finalists, and Karinchak was not among the AL finalists. Uh, can you explain the, the, the discrepancy there? Uh, I might have something to do with Williams' uh, 0.33 ERA for the, the season, I think. Yeah, and that, that had a big thing to do with it. And it's always about the field as well. I mean, for me, I was, uh, I was a Rookie of the Year voter this year in the American League, and um, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to do with Karen Cech, uh primarily because of the walk rate. I mean, he had the high strikeout rate, but he had the high walk rate to go with it. He, he walked 5.3 batters per nine. You compare that to Williams, who walked three batters per nine. So it makes a big difference in uh, another stat I like for relievers is whip. That's mm -hmm. basically traffic that you allow in the base paths, walks and hits for innings pitched. Karen Shack 1.11 versus Williams 0 0.63. That's a pretty big difference uh, between the two. But um, I mean, I don't mind telling you that I, I did ultimately have Karen Shack on my ballot. I, I shocker or spoiler alert, I didn't vote him to win the rookie of the year, but I did think he was ultimately worthy of recognition as a young guy who was really put in high leverage spots from day one of the season and ultimately had a very strong year. But Devin Williams, I thought, had a really strong argument to be the NL Rookie of the Year outright because his numbers were so absurd. And his he, they call it a changeup. I don't know that it actually is a changeup. <laughs> it's some kind of devastating new pitch that he came up with. Uh, and, and he was fantastic for the Brewers. The, the head scratcher sort of in that category for me was uh, uh, Christian Javier. Uh, you know, he might not have even been the best yeah. rookie pitcher on his own team. Right, right. Yeah, he was a tough one, too. Actually, for me, that's what it came down to, because um, I thought Kyle Lewis and, and Luis Robert were the two obvious choices for the top two spots, and then came down to that last spot, and, and, and Javier and, and Karen Cech, and it's all about what you value. I mean, Javier, obviously, uh, primarily was in a starting role for the Astros, but you're right. I mean, the Astros had a lot of good rookie pitchers. That's where they, that's why they ultimately got to the ALCS this year. Right. I, I, I voted the in the rookie uh, the last two seasons, and it, it's hard to sort of just focus on just the rookie year and not, uh, you know, project out what this guy's career is going to look like and vote based on that. And I think, you know, maybe that's what some people look at Luis Robert and say, that's a guy who's going to be in that Chicago lineup for, you know, eight, eight more years, something like that, and, and just killing the Indians, first of all. But, uh, uh, you know, just to look at him and say, well, boy, he's a deserving candidate just based on, you know, what his career path could be if he stays yeah. healthy and, and continues to put up the numbers he, he, he's capable of doing. Yeah, I wish, I wish the Grammys would uh, do things that way because Best New <laughs> Artist famously flames out uh, usually pretty quickly thereafter. But if they thought about, you know, who has actual staying power, I think it might be a different award. So you're predicting bad things for Billie Eilish? Is that what you're doing? This is, <laughs> we just lost half of the listeners on this podcast right there with, with one – 
Name drops Billy. Billy's all right. She'll hang yeah. in there. She'll, Jeez. She'll hang oh, there. man. I, I can't even stomach it. I, if I can't understand the words you're saying, then I'm not listening to your song. Sorry. <laughs> uh, moving on, the, it's sort of the, the, the big one I wanted to get to here is, uh, you know, Jose Ramirez up for uh, American League MVP, third time in four years for Jose. He, he finished behind Altuve and Judge in 2017. He was third behind Betts and Trout in 2018. Will he be third behind Abreu and a LeMahieu uh, in 2020? Uh, you know, my personal feeling is uh, it probably will be, but uh, I, I, I don't know. What, what, what's your take on it? You know, I, he finished so strong uh, those last couple of weeks, and, and probably I know this directly counters what I said about Gary Cole earlier, but um, <laughs> I, I think just because of the, the nature of that race, where whereas the AL Cy Young was pretty clear, you know, from – mid-August forward, um, the AL MVP was pretty wide open even going into those last couple weeks of September, and he finished with a flourish on a playoff club. Um, You look at those last two weeks, so he hit 452 (laughs) with a 1.567 OPS, six home runs, eight doubles. I mean, that's that's a pretty strong final argument in what was a a pretty crowded field, and so I feel like he has a really good chance of of winning this award, and I could be way off. I, I one thing I I think that could happen is Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson were kind of bumping heads there on the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, Abreu finished stronger than Anderson, so you know maybe they don't cancel each other out. But I do think it's a possibility that they they infiltrate each other's votes. Um, DJ LeMay, who had a really strong season, had an injury early, you know, was unavailable at the very beginning, but ultimately had an MVP worthy year. So. Um, maybe if, if Jose and, and Shane Bieber kind of pick each other off, uh, vote wise, you know, maybe LeMahieu sneaks up there. I'm not sure, but, um, but I, you know, I, I really thought Ramirez did have a really strong argument. His, he was just having kind of a, he was having a good, not great season for much of the year. And then, you know, he turned on the jets there those last couple of weeks and in a short season like this and a wide open field that might've mattered. Yeah. Really carried the Indians, put them on his back, uh, offensively and carried them through the, the last sort of you know, 11 games, 16 games, something like that. Yeah. His last 11 hits all went for extra bases. And you just sort of got the sense every time he came up that something special w- was going to happen. Right. Uh, typically, you got that sense with uh, with Mike Trout over the last uh, decade. Mike Trout, not a finalist for the first yeah. time since 2012. Uh, what's going on? I thought I thought all you guys uh, on the network and all, all you uh, sabermetric guys were – we're pretty much decided Trout gets a, a final spot every year. Isn't that the way it was supposed to be? Well, he, he screwed himself up by having a baby. You don't have a baby <laughs> in a pandemic shortened season because then he missed, I think he missed like 9% of the season just by going on paternity leave for a few days. Um, but no, I mean, he obviously had another fantastic year. Um, now, you know, by his standards, uh, some of the right stats did come down. And, and maybe that ultimately worked against them. But I think what really worked against them was just being on the Angels, you know. And, and you know, and I joke about it, but he did miss almost 10% of the season just by, uh, you know, having a kid. So it's just that kind of goofy year. I think if we had played the full season, Mike Trout would probably be there ultimately in the end in the top three. I'm not saying he would win, but there's a pretty good bet that he'd be in the top three. And then it, with him, it always comes down to, you know, who has the, who else has the absurd season in the American league on a good team, right? It's always the standard by which uh, Mike Trout is then compared. Uh, but in this particular year, yeah, you know, we had a, a few worthy candidates on, on playoff bound clubs and, and uh, you know, it hurt him. Two more quick questions before I let you go here. Uh, the American league uh, manager of the year race, uh, I, I voted in, so I'm not going to talk about very much, but 
uh, just to see Rick Renteria get a, uh, a spot uh, among the finalists there. Uh, kind of kind of unique and interesting seeing how he was uh, summarily fired by the, the White Sox right after that. And then congratulated by the White Sox on, uh, via Twitter, which I, I found amusing. Uh, you know, it, it's a good thing for a guy like Kevin, a guy like Kevin Cash that the uh, voting was all taking place before the start of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, it sure was. And and I hope people understand that distinction when the, <laughs> when the award is announced, because I do think he's going to win. Um, there were other, you know, Renteria, obviously, the, the White Sox, you know, made the big surge in the standings. The Blue Jays with Charlie Montoyo made the big surge in the standings. But to win the AL East uh, against a, a juggernaut Yankees club um, with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. I mean, Kevin Cash could probably win this award every year, to be honest, with the way the Rays have performed in recent seasons. But his third time really as shocked. a finalist. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody made the joke uh, third time through the voting. So uh, <laughs> he pulled he pulled Blake Snell third time through the order. But now he's in his third time through the voting. I think it'll actually help him. Um, so I'd be shocked if he doesn't win. And he's, he's deserving. I, that, that moment, certainly, uh, you know, they, they relied too heavily on the script there in, in game six of the World Series. I think that's pretty clear. But it's, you know, those kind of scripts are what got them where they where they ultimately ended up. And, and he's he's part of a really cohesive unit there in Tampa Bay that, that always maximizes, uh, you know, exceeds the sum of its parts, as, as, as we like to say. And and he's certainly worthy. Uh, which race do you think they, uh, the voters might have gotten wrong? Was, was there anybody involved in uh, among any of the finalists that, you know, you look at the, the group there and you say, uh, well, that guy doesn't deserve to be there. They missed they missed out on so and so. You know, I wasn't as bullish on anything this year as I would normally be just because we were dealing with such crazy small samples. We're talking about 37 percent of a regular season of a real season. So, um, yeah, I mean, there there are small things here and there where it's like uh, you, you could make an argument for this guy or that. And Garrett Cole is an example of that. But nothing that I felt strongly, you know, that strongly about. Um, look at the AL MVP finalists. I mean, all those guys have worthy cases. I, I personally, this is like a strange year where I thought Nelson Cruz, despite being a DH, had a really strong argument to be a AL MVP finalist um, because he was that Twins offense for the better part of the year. And that was a team that obviously won the Central. Um, you know, he was just that good. His numbers with runnings and scoring position were absurd. And ordinarily, I wouldn't strongly advocate for a, you know, a bat-only player to to be an MVP-type player, but... You know, he, he kind of was that for me in 2020. But again, it's nothing I felt like super strong about. I think it was just wild variations and stats happened very quickly in the season. And Jose Ramirez is the best example of that because I never would have imagined him as an MVP pick as late as probably September 15th. And then you look <laughs> up at year's end and he probably was my MVP pick. It was just that kind of year. Right. Yeah, it was undeniable the way he came on at the end of the year and undeniable the way that you always deliver every time we talk to you, Anthony. Uh, thanks again for uh, taking a few minutes here to talk uh, awards candidates. And we'll, uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, and, and hopefully seeing you in the press box at some point, maybe next season. That's It's been far too long since we've, we've all hung out together. I know. We, we were in there. It's just a matter of uh... – are keeping our distance and our masks so uh be nice to see each other smiling faces again someday all right we'll talk to you again soon here on the Cleveland baseball talk podcast